Jimmy, now we turn our attention to the rule book to help us do that. SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Gerald, how you doing? Doing well, Jimmy. Doing well. Thank you for joining us. We always appreciate it. Football started, so that's good. (laughs) There you go. Uh, I want to ask you about this, um, if you would, because I think sometimes it still can be confusing. Illegal substitutions. Uh, What constitutes illegal substitution on offense? Okay, on offense, uh, if an incoming player stays in the huddle for more than three seconds, then, then they'll call it right then. Or if they break the huddle with 12 players, they will call it as soon as they break the huddle or as soon as they count and figure out they've got – it's hard to count them in the huddle. Mm-hmm. So, but, And what would constitute illegal substitution on offense for a team that does not huddle? Because they, they get to the line of scrimmage, there's no huddle. Can you run somebody off the field and run somebody on – the field from the sideline if you're not on offense on offense you can do that but then if you if you look you'll see the center judge over the ball with both arms stretched out they cannot they the defense has to have an opportunity to respond to the substitution so if you have a no huddle you cannot get a legal substitution if you don't if you don't you're not huddling but no you've substituted but i'm wondering about running the guy on and off you can't do an illegal substitution if you're in a, if you're running a no huddle offense, right, because but, they're going to be coming and going. All right, defensive illegal substitution. What constitutes okay, that? Okay, on defense, uh, you cannot have more than eleven players on the field if the snap is imminent. In other words, in the, the official's judgment, if they're ready to snap the ball, and you got twelve players out there, and some teams' case you'll have thirteen, they'll put thirteen or fourteen out there, <laughs> and then when the team breaks the huddle, they'll run them off. And uh, that makes it uh, difficult for us in the booth because we do count the players also as well as there's at least uh, three guys on the field counting each team. So, but the way they rule that, you know, and you, if you're substituting on defense and somebody gets confused, you got twelve out there. He can run off the field, and the way the wording is is as long as his next step would take him off the field when the ball snapped, then they then they mm. let it go. Used to be years ago when I first got in, uh, the wingmen were a lot closer into the wideouts. In other words, now they're they're standing on the sidelines on the line of scrimmage, but. Uh, they would come in just about five to six yards outside the widest man. Well, you know, if they were on the far side of the field, you could be you could be at the hash. So the the philosophy back then was once the player once the player got past your field of vision, in other words, going toward the sidelines, then he wouldn't be considered. It wouldn't be considered an illegal substitution. Are there situations where a defense would have twelve on the field and you would call a legal substitution before the snap? Well, they try. That is the goal. They try to call it before the snap to make it a dead ball foul. Mm-hmm. But if they don't, you know, they again, if they count and the ball gets snapped and they don't kill it, then they let the play go, and then uh, it's a live ball foul, and there's a big difference. Uh, I've been kind of lobbying for the Rogers Reading for a while to make all of them live ball fouls uh, because uh, there was a good bowl game a few years ago Coach Cutcliffe was in, and they kicked a field goal, game-winning field goal. Well, they had 12 men on the field, 
defense. They blew their whistle just before the snap. Of course, nobody heard it. So they make it. Okay, they dead ball foul. They move them up five yards closer. They re-kick, and he misses it. Oh. And, you know, in that case, the philosophy of the rules is to keep a team from gaining an advantage by fouling. So I've been. This is back, this is just a this exchange between Rogers and I back and forth. But just, so basically, you're saying they should have had an option, right, to decline. So yeah, option to, to, to decline. take it or decline it, right. And therefore, the defense gained an advantage because the kick didn't count and they had to re-kick. Right. And of course, there again, the the rules committee is made up of you know, voting members are made up of coaches. So they, I guess, chose to leave it like it was. So. We have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900, 656-9900. Let's go to James. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, James. Yes. Hello? Yes. I would have a question. Uh, uh, when do you stop the clock on an incomplete pass? Okay. When you Actually, when you stop the clock on an incomplete pass, if it picks it's just when it's obvious that the pass is going to be incomplete, either where it hits the ground. Now, if it goes out of bounds, typically they'll wait till it actually touches something out of bounds. So basically when it touches something out of bounds or hits the ground. So you're saying as a judgment call that the clock operator can stop the clock when he feels that the the pass cannot be caught. Is that what no. you're saying? The clock operator has no voice in that. The clock operator stops the clock when he sees an official on the field give the stop the clock signal. So okay, at least that's so the way I, it's, I, that's the way it's supposed to work. There could be a second that passes there's, between there, the yeah. There's a lag between yeah. the signal and when you actually get it stopped. But uh, basically, the clock operator is looking for a signal from the field of play. Now that, okay, is this reviewable? My, my, my next question, is it reviewable? It is reviewable down toward the end of the game. It depends on the situation and the score. There's several variables that go in it. But uh, especially one of the rules in replay is that we cannot put time back on the clock unless the clock actually expires in a, in a period. So, in other words, if they – throw a pass, it's incomplete, and, you know, uh, it hits the ground, and there's, say, five seconds left, and it's three before they get it stopped, then, you know, we don't get involved. We cannot get involved in that. But if it runs out and we see that it was stopped, you know, we should have been stopped at four, we could put four seconds back on. Okay, thank you very much. Yes, sir. I think I think one of his questions related to Tennessee had, I think it was seven seconds left at the end of the first half, uh-huh. and there was a, a kind of a slow-developing pass play, and it was thrown and it was incomplete, and there was one second left on the clock. And uh, and I thought that was – I didn't have a problem with it. It just was cutting it close. Right, yeah. And as to when you call it incomplete, and I think it hits hit the ground or something before they did it. The other one was uh, late in the game uh, – well, it was basically it was two seconds left. Tennessee tried an onside kick. The guy from Georgia State recovers it on the ground, right? Yes. And one second went off. And somebody said, well, why didn't two seconds go off? Well, I could see where if you're on the ground when you recover it, that only one second could go off. Right. Actually, if you're on the ground and 
you know, right. You wouldn't you wouldn't start it and stuff. If, if you rec- the way the rule actually reads okay. is if you recover the ball and you're on the ground on a on or any on kick, an onside kick or on any kickoff. Okay. If you're on the ground and you recover the ball, then the clock really wouldn't start. I mean, okay. because it'd just be an off and on. Because okay. Ken is up next. Hello, Ken. Good evening, gentlemen. How are y'all tonight? Fine, Good, and you? Ken. Doing fantastic. I have a question. When Georgia State scored on late in the game, uh, we ran a player in way after the play had already started, and we were all sides. They never called it. And the quarterback ended up scoring, and which yay. But uh, anyway, they he was adamantly offsides, and they didn't do anything about that. But it seems like there's more emphasis on getting off the field than there is getting on the field. And I was just wondering what the ruling is on that. Well, it, was he coming from the opposing team side of the ball? It was our player, uh, Georgia State, had the ball. They had already called their play. They were in formation, running their play, and we tried to run a player on. Didn't make it in time. Uh, In fact, the quarterback ran right past him for a touchdown. And, but he was, he was all sides. I mean, and. They didn't call that, but yet they called us not getting off the field quick enough on substitution. And I was just wondering what the how that worked. Well, that's interesting. Of course, I didn't see the play, so I don't know where the player was in relation to the action on the field. But uh, the rule, you know, all 11 players are supposed to be on their side of the ball when the ball snapped. So. Oh, but, uh, the quarterback but, literally ran around him to run into the end zone, and he was not considered offsides. Now, he evidently, you know, once again, it was, to me, bad coaching, but we won't go there because this is rules right now. But um, he literally was running in, hadn't crossed the line, and uh, – the quarterback ran right around him because he definitely wasn't in position to make the play, but that wasn't called. But when you're, I guess the problem I have is when you're trying diligently to get off the field and you get called for a foul or a penalty, but yet you are trying to get on the field and it's not a penalty, that just seems strange. I don't know what the call is there. Ken, we do appreciate it. I think it's a it's an interesting point because you've got quarterbacks that would look for exactly that that opportunity and then snap the ball. Yes. Yeah. So if you've got three guys that just run on and three guys that are running off, and the third guy or the last two guys aren't hustling, right. You get that snap off. Then it is too many men on the field. If there is the line of scrimmage, and we'll say it's at the twenty-five, and somebody is running on from a sideline, that is the defensive side to where he would be running. Two and three past the, the line of scrimmage. Yeah, yeah. Um, would that be a penalty? That would, if, um, by rule, it should be. You know, I don't, I don't know what the situation was that it wouldn't be. But in that instance, would right. that be not necessarily reviewable? Would would that be would 
the offense have the ability to decline if indeed the play went for a touchdown? Yes, if the ball got snapped and they have not blown the play dead, then that would be a live ball, even if they threw the flag later. Okay. We do appreciate it, Ken. Yeah, I um, I have looking at my notes. The illegal substitution for Tennessee came on a third and five. It was that was not the scoring play. Now, I guess they didn't call a penalty on this particular one. He's Correct. talking about. It was three plays later. Ellington ran for a twenty-two yard touchdown. I'll have to go back and look at that. I don't remember that seeing the player run on the field and being off sides. I. I'll go back and check that. Let me make a note of that uh, so I can go back and see that one. But I I didn't catch that. I'll check on that, Ken. Our guest is Gerald Hodges. If you have a question or comment for Gerald about the rule book or something that you saw over the weekend, 656-9900, 656-9900. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Bullock. Here at the Sports Animal, we never really grew up. We just learn how to act in public most of the time. Our guest, SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. If you have a question or comment about the rule book, 656-9900, 656-9900. It's Chris who's up next. Hello, Chris. Hey, guys, got a quick question for you. All right. So, in the Iowa State-Northern Iowa game, the game was in overtime. Iowa State had the ball at about the four, and the running back fumbled. The ball goes forward, and the quarterback recovered it at the one. Now, I know in the NFL, they have, like, the holy roller rule where only the player that fumbled can advance the fumble, and I wasn't sure in the last two minutes. And I'm not sure, and they, they did not bring the ball back. They kept the ball at the one. And then Iowa State scored and won the game at that point. So is there not a – Is anybody can recover the fumble and advance it no matter what time or game situation? Okay. On Does it depend on the down? Yes. On co- in college, on fourth down, they have a fourth down fumble rule. And that on, on fourth down only, the only the player that fumbles the ball can recover it. If anyone okay, else – I think this was second down, so. Yeah. Okay. In college, then they, they can – leave it where it was recovered but on fourth down if it's fumbled then they even even though a teammate recovers it they bring it back to the spot of the fumble and give it to the defense unless he made a first down before he fumbled all right that answered it okay thank you chris thank you very much 656-9900-656-9900 star 990 is free for at&t in u.s cellular customers doug is up next hello doug Good afternoon, gentlemen. Afternoon. I have two questions for our zebra friend there. Uh, the first one was uh, when Garantano had second and six and had a clear field and went down the field and slid one yard short of the first down marker, and then we didn't make it on third and one. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind he didn't make it, but my general question is, uh, where do you mark the ball when the quarterback slides? Okay, uh, Doug, on a sliding quarterback, uh, actually, or any player, but the slide, uh, they have to slide mm-hmm. feet first to get that protection. But the minute they start down, uh, what we like to say, 
the minute their rear end starts toward the ground and their feet are out in front of uh-huh. that is where the that's where the ball becomes dead because you can slide three yards after that on the wet field. So, but the oh, yeah. minute yeah. the minute he starts down, that is also the the cue to the defense to stay off of him. Okay, so, thanks, Gerald. And the second okay. question is, uh, Jimmy, I think you got confused. That play before the second half uh, was an interception. Remember, we had what. Uh, second down, and there was about seven seconds left, and Garantano threw the interception in the end zone, but they called it interference. But Correct. the guy that in, intercepted the ball was three yards in front of the our receiver and the guy that was called for interference. So Correct. would that not be considered an uncatchable ball? <laughs> well, why did you say I was confused? Well, I thought you said it was an incomplete pass. No, then complete pass came on the play after the interception uh, pass okay. interference play. It was the next play. Okay. There was a pass to okay, Palmer after that. Okay. So, Gerald, okay. the question is, there was interference. So, Garantano throws a pass. I'm going to guess here a little bit. The pass is intercepted at the two, in, uh, two yards into the end zone. Pass interference occurred seven yards into the end zone. Is that ball uncatchable? Well, it would be a timing thing. If so if inter- the interference occurred before the interception. The interference per- occurred first, then you, the interference would stand. Forgot. Okay. okay. Yeah. In my judgment, right. the interference occurred before the interception. Right. Call was good. Okay. Got that, Doug? Yeah. Makes sense. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, Doug. 656-9900. 656-9900. That was a good question. It was. Yeah, about whether or not it would be, quote, catchable or not. Uh, I did see a play, Gerald, I wanted to ask you about. You didn't see it, so it's going to make it hard to judge on this one. But I was—I saw a replay of a Stanford game against Northwestern. The Stanford quarterback, K.J. Costello, looked to me like he's going into his slide. And as he starts that, a Northwestern player hit him and knocked his helmet off. And there was no penalty thrown. Uh, it looked to me, you could have argued, targeting. Of course, now we know that with targeting, it has to fulfill like three different elements. Right. There was no penalty, even though I felt like when you – when are you considered defenseless? When you start the slide? The, the moment you start the slide, you're giving yourself up. In other words, you're not running any further. And once you start that slide, that, then you are a defenseless player by, by rule. So, therefore, any, 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 any blow after you start your slide would be a blow against a defenseless player. All right, so what what if the you start the slide and you're simultaneously hit? That's going to be a judgment that's call a by judgment, the official, yeah, isn't it? It is. This is a judgment well, call. Nothing, now, was, nothing was called on it, and they yeah. did not rule the guy defenseless, and uh, there was an argument about it. Most people thought they should have called targeting, but they called nothing. Looks like if his helmet, if his helmet was knocked off. It was. That would be a blow above the shoulders to a defenseless player, mm-hmm. which is by rule targeting. Uh, you could have an you could have just a personal foul late hit if it wasn't targeting once he's sliding. So yeah, but you know, it'd be hard to you know, judge without seeing it, but just by definition that you know, that would be a hit you know, above the head and shoulder. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious if you ever get a chance to see that one, what what you would think of that. Right. Uh, and then last night I'm watching the Oklahoma dismantled Houston. Jalen Hurts with his brilliant performance. Uh, he's running to the right. He runs out of bounds. 
they signaled touchdown. Uh, the ball was in his right hand, and he went out of bounds on the right side. The ball never crossed the plane of the goal. When they reviewed it, they took the touchdown away, which I thought was the right call. If Jalen Hurts' left foot, for example, hit that pylon, but the ball never crossed the goal line, that's not a touchdown, no, is it? At correct. some point, the ball has to cross. That's that, that's that's the number the number one. I didn't mean to get that guy. Upset. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the number one statement for a touchdown is the ball has to cross the plane of the goal line. Then you, you take it a little further. Uh, if you can get goal line extended, if the ball crosses outside the pylon but goes beyond the plane of the goal line extended, and then you touch inbounds or you touch the pylon before any body part touches out of bounds to make it out of bounds. So theoretically, a diving player can score if he touches the pylon or dives right at the pylon. With his left hand and the ball's in the right, the ball's out of bounds, but but still. As long as it's past the plane, the goal line. Correct. All right. Yeah. We'll get a break. When we return, a final segment to today's edition of Sports Talk. We remind you it's 7 o'clock. It's Tennessee Sports Night. Brian Rice and Vince Ferrara are with you from 7 until 7.30. After that, you've got football futures from 7.30 until 8. And at 8, Big Orange Hotline tonight, all on Sports Radio WNML. But a break and a final segment with Gerald Hodges coming up as you listen to Sports Talk today at Ted Russell Ford on Parkside Drive. This ain't your mama's radio station. Unless you've got a really cool mama. 99.1, the sports animal. A final segment to today's edition of Sports Talk with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. Our guest is SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Uh, Gerald, having worked as long as you did on the field, how do you guys manage what can be some really, really hot conditions uh, that can get to not only players but also officials? How do you prepare? You've talked about on field especially. Yes, correct. Okay. Uh, we have some really hot press boxes too, but it's no not. doubt. <laughs> uh, actually, you, this time of year, you know, you're going. You know, you're going into some really hot weather. Uh, literally about Thursday, you by diet, and you really need to start hydrating by about Thursday and uh, Friday, Saturday, of course, before the game and uh, during the game. They. Uh, Every team has several managers assigned to the on-field officials, and you'll see them run out, you know, at every timeout. And, uh, you know, with either water, Gatorade, you know, whatever they're bringing the players, they'll bring them. And uh, they normally don't pass those up when they come by in that hot weather. But it's uh, it's about a three-day process, really, to keep. Is that something that is you get the heads up from – the conference you work with is that something that's learned over years and years of calling games as you climb the ladder and through the ranks to the sec or it, or where is it that you get the heads up and has that changed over the years to where you go from an individual plan to perhaps a little more involvement from either your crew chief and or the conference itself well actually that's that's a good point because all of our scheduling and all of our uh, information transfers are all by email now and the referee will send out 
starting. I got one today for my game this coming weekend from the referee. And they'll mention weather. Uh, they'll, you know, the long-range forecast. And they'll have, you know, and they, they'll probably put, the, you know, start start hydrating. And uh, it's more of a crew concept now. There's just more information that's readily available. Uh, it doesn't take but about one night after a ball game with leg cramps to, you know, man, I should have started <laughs> earlier. So. Yeah, they're the worst. <laughs> they they are. And uh, But it's it's grown. We get a lot more information from the trainers and things like that than we used to. Gerald, I was watching a, a college football game. I saw so many. I can't remember which game it was. But a crew was from one conference. The replay official was from another. It, there are a lot of non-conference games going on right now. Sure. In the SEC, do you try to, if you're calling a non-conference game, make sure that the SEC crew has an SEC replay official, or do you still mix with that? Well, the, this year, uh, next year, that is a rule change. Next year, uh, it's it a will rule change. take into effect next year that the replay crew will be assigned by the same conference that assigns the on-field officials. Now, this year, we've got a couple that uh, we're traveling, and it'll be replay and on field but for the most part the home team will have the replay you know and then the visiting team coming in will have the on field that's why it's been since replay started but they made a change effective next year what was the reason for the change do they feel like there's better communication if you have the replay official from the same conference as the officials on the field that would be the biggest part oh you know we don't have a problem working with other conferences. You know, they're mm-hmm. really good officials, so that's not an issue. But you're just more in tune to the uh, sequence of how things are handled on the field and that type of thing. So. Uh, also, how many conferences have collaborative replay now? Do you know? Well, let's see. You've got the Big 12, Pac-12, the ACC, and the SEC, and I think that's it right now. Big 10 does not? Big 10 does not right yet. And the – CFO West, which is, I guess, a combination of several smaller, they're still Division One conferences, but the Mountain West, and there's several others that are all under the umbrella of the Big 12. Uh, I don't know about that one, whether they have collaborative or not. You had uh, Georgia Vanderbilt. Did you have any stoppages for replay? Had one, just uh, a knee down on a punt. Pretty uneventful night, which is great. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Uh, well, I want to ask you this. So in, with that stoppage, then you had a, a new instrument that was involved. It was kind of like an iPad on a tripod where the white hat, the referee, would go over to take a look at it. Uh, so that would have occurred in your game, correct? correct? Correct, So how did you feel like that communication went? That went really well. Uh, the main reason is uh, we had to bring the ball back uh, to put it down where he actually caught the ball. He ran a few yards upfield. And uh, it's you know we mentioned that last week about that, and uh, it's uh, it helps the referee visualize what actually happened on the field. If there's something downfield, say a pass interference, or well, of course we wouldn't get involved in that, but a, a foul downfield, stepped out of bounds, or whatever happened, and it happened downfield. He's watching the quarterback. He really doesn't have a visual on what we're looking at, so say a guy steps on the sidelines and we get an end zone shot and he's coming right down the sideline the referee can see it and it helps him 
formulate his announcement for one thing if especially if we overturn it mm-hmm. and bring it back to that spot then he can say you know the runner stepped out of bounds on the 35 yard line and we'll bring it back there and it'll be first and 10 or whatever the you know the down would be and then if there's a question from the sideline maybe you know from a coach he can explain he can explain it to him a lot easier and yeah. so the situation where the guy had his knee on the ground, took off running, so you also have to tell him how much time was left when the ball when right. it should have stopped. Correct. So you've got to put, yeah. put time the back correct on time the back on the exactly. clock to right. deal with that issue. Yeah. Right. Okay. Saw so something. Well, first of all, there was an Arkansas. We talked about it last week as you highlighted the rules changes and, uh, and how things are officiated this year when it comes to targeting. There was an Arkansas player that was whistled initially for targeting, uh, but upon further review, no ejection. So that's that's part of what is that, that could have been, it could have been, it could have been the new rule, or just they just felt like that it, it wasn't targeting to start with. So they just so did they overturn it? They overturned the targeting. Yes, they okay. did. Right. And then uh, also there was a, a strip sack in the Northern Iowa Iowa State game, and that is uh, I believe it was Iowa State that had the football, and it was thought there were many that said that was a controversial call because it it appeared to be an incomplete pass, but while it didn't have the greatest view of the replay that was connected to the story, it looked like that it was a strip sack and that when the quarterback's arm came forward that it was an empty hand. How difficult is that judgment call, the empty hand, strip sack, fumble, which was returned for a touchdown, versus the incomplete pass as the arm went forward? That is probably the second most difficult call that we have. There are, there are like four uh, four major replays that we stopped to look at that constitute about 90% of the replays. Mm-hmm. Uh, catch, no catch being the first one. Uh, maybe in, may, may inbounds, out of bounds. But right up the top is uh, the uh, pass fumble by the quarterback. And they've actually changed the ruling by uh, interpretation this year that uh, – it's it's not the arm; it's the hand going forward, controlling the ball. You you know, so I, I saw a game the other night where the you know they hit right here, but the, the quarterback had the ball in his hand mm-hmm. and it was going forward with control. Then you you also have the ball go forward, but it wasn't in control. Mm-hmm. You know he you know the the ball can be knocked forward right. by the defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just because the ball goes forward doesn't mean his hand went forward with control of the ball. So those are that's a, just a tough call. Sounds really. like they give you another list of things to consider. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so the rule books gets bigger, it's thicker and thicker, and that's right. bigger. Hey, Gerald, thank you. We always appreciate it. Thank you for joining us, and well, we look forward you. to uh, you joining us again next week. We'll do it. Thank All you, right. sir.